Good morning. Happy Easter. Thank you. Let's see if we can do this without the words. He is risen. Amen. And we're going to talk about that today. If you're joining us for the first time, and we know that happens on Easter because maybe you're just checking out uh, church, or maybe you came with somebody, or maybe you're joining us online for the first time, uh, we want to welcome you. And so I'm going to just take a moment and introduce myself uh, in a way that I think is probably relevant for today, which is I'm going to tell you my biggest failure. You guys want to hear that? Yeah, everybody wants to hear the pastor's bit. Well, I'm going to tell you my biggest failure. I'm going to tell you a failure. A day that was really my worst day, honestly. Um, I grew up wanting to fly for a living, and I finally got my shot, my interview with a large carrier. And I went out there, and it's a two-day operation, and I enjoyed it. And you know how when you're doing an interview, you can kind of feel the tipping point? You're like, oh, they're not going to take me. I felt it, but I still had hope. So by the end of the second day, um, it was like, thank you, Mr. Connor, for coming in. But no. <laughs> so, I, and, you know, this happens, right? We interview for jobs that we don't get. But for me, it was so much more than a rejection. And I was not prepared for it. It cut me to the heart. And I started thinking about, well, what am I going to tell my kids when they grow up? Um, what am I going to tell my wife? Like, I felt like an entire failure and it wasn't just that I'd failed to get that job. I felt like, well, who am I then? If I can't fly and I've spent my whole life doing this, who am I? I got a job later, so it's, it's not about that. <sighs> Friends, if you've never experienced failure like that, you haven't lived. And it opens you up to the hand of God. At least it did for me. Maybe it's not a job for you. Maybe you're a really good mom and then you blow up at your kid, and you have that moment you're like, who am I? I don't see other moms do that. Or maybe you're a really good employee, and you have a season at work where well, you're not, and they know it, and you know it. And you start wondering, who am I? Because failure isn't just about you, is it? Because I was sitting in a room at this airline with a bunch of people, and some of them got it. So when I had to experience failure, it was not just, you're not who you think you are, you're not them. You're not just not a good mom, you're not her. You just did not not get into the college you wanted, your friend got in there. There's a theologian at Yale by the name of Miroslav Volf, and he wrote a book called Exclusion and Embrace. He said, this is how failure works. You see yourself as better than somebody else, and when you're not, it cuts you to the core. He even goes as far as to say that for Cain and Abel, uh, it wasn't that Cain was just a violent dude. Cain saw himself as better than his brother in the moment that he wasn't, you're either going to act in hostility or fragility. You kill them. Friends, we just came out of Good Friday. And if you were with us, you know what we talked about. The Apostle Peter, who told Jesus to his face, hey, these other apostles might run on you, but I never will. You can count on me. I will go, in fact, I will die for you if I have to. I'll go to prison for you if I have to. I will be there. 
I've built my life around being the strongest, the best, and I may not be perfect, Jesus, but I can tell you what, I'll be there before these will. And then he wasn't. He deserted Jesus. He ran. He denied it. They ever knew him. This was soul-crushing for Peter. This just, he didn't shrug this off. He said, I will be the best, and he ends up being the first to run. So it wasn't just that Peter had to deal with a failure. This was soul-crushing. Who am I? Friends, we're going to look at an odd text for Easter today. Um, it's the epilogue of the Gospel of John. It's the very end, and here's why. I want you to see the power of the resurrection at work after the dust settles, after people have left Jerusalem, after Peter had given up and gone back fishing. I want you to see and experience the power of the resurrection because it happens here in everyday, ordinary, unspectacular life. Because if you can't experience what Jesus has done for you there, you're never going to experience it at all. And if you've ever found yourself a failure, and you are, and so am I, even if you're successful, you're going to find yourself failing at something. You need these words. You need to see the power of the resurrection at work. So we're going to read John chapter 21, which is really the epilogue. It's like, and now what? And we're going to go through verses 1 through, I think it's 19 to the very end. I'm going to read it, but it's, you're going to see three movements here. The first movement is they go back to work. The second movement is Jesus not only shows up, he finds them, he pursues them, but he cooks for them. Very odd. And lastly, and this is the hardest part, Jesus and Peter have a conversation. And everything in Peter wants to run again. Because what do you think Jesus is going to say, right? So let's jump in. Let me pray for us, and we're going to jump in. And I'm just, uh, Pastor Johnny Reed mentioned, if you've never been to church before, you're just checking us out online. I encourage you to imagine God has something to say to you, because he does. Be open-minded and be ready. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. This is your word. And you have destined your word to live and to jump out of the page into our souls and to search us to the depths of our souls and hearts. May that happen today. May it bring us to life today through your good work, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right. The Gospel of John, chapter 21. And just to give you a little background, um, it's probably about eight to 10 days after the resurrection. So what had happened is they were still celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread in Jerusalem. Everybody was in the city. And then after that, it's like any other festival, it ends. People are wandering out of the city and going back to life. So the disciples who had seen the risen Christ several times also were going back to work. And they had, although they believe that Jesus was alive, is alive, we're not sure what to do with this, what it means for us, because we kind of abandoned him. So here we go, verse 1 of chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's another name for the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. So Jesus is revealing himself to his disciples in a very specific way. 
Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of the disciples were together, so about seven of them. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and they got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you're going to find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because the quantity of the fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, that would have been John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. So Peter goes back to work. I guess I'm not the apostle I thought I was. I guess I'm not the one who will stay with Jesus, so I'm going to do what I know to do. I'm going to go to fish. And some of them he fished with beforehand. So they said, yeah, we'll go with you. So they're back to normal life. They're fishing. They fish at night uh, because in the ancient world, that's how it worked. Probably because they're fishing with a net. Probably because fish kind of bed down at night. It might be easier to catch them, but there's no refrigeration. So they're going to take them out in the morning and sell them, get rid of them quick. They fished all night, caught nothing. And it's just kind of dawn is breaking. And Jesus shows up on the beach. And he kind of says something that's almost irritating to every fisherman, especially if you haven't caught anything all night. Hey, how's the fishing? Nada. But the word he uses, children, it's to us it would be like, hey guys, caught anything? It's kind of a term of endearment, but it's a term of relationship. And they said no. And then he says, cast your net on the right side. And of course they, they get all this massive haul of fish and John figures it out immediately. That is the Lord. This has happened before. Peter, this has happened before. That's Jesus. In fact, I can take you back real quick. Luke chapter 5. This happened right when Jesus was calling his disciples. Their nets were breaking. Verse 7. Peter saw it and he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me from a sinful man, O Lord. So the first time when Jesus brought them a miraculous catch, he called them to follow him. And Peter recognized he was the Christ, he was the Lord. And he said, get out. Like, I don't, I'm not going to be by you because I'm evil. This time, the same thing happens. And for some reason, Peter jumps out of the boat, girds himself up, and he goes towards Jesus. So two things I would like you to see right here in the first movement. The resurrected Christ, God the Son, doesn't just go to Galilee he finds them. They've left him. They've given up. They believe him, but they don't know what to do with it. And they're kind of worried because they didn't stick with him. And Peter's terrified because he denied him. Jesus shows up on the beach, gives them a miraculous catch. How could their minds not go back to the first time they met Jesus? Hey, remember that? So Jesus pursues them. Friends, if you're looking for God in heaven, get your eye out of the telescope. 
Jesus is here. That's the power and the beauty of the resurrection. He's going to look, like he's, he's here. You have access to him now. And secondly, why does Peter run towards him? Peter either runs away or runs for him. I will tell you this. If you're looking into Jesus and you're curious about who this is, Christians say he's the God-man. We're not sure. I'm not sure about that. There's only one real response to Jesus, and Peter has it. Either you're backing off, saying, no, I don't want anything to do with that. Or you're running towards him, and you're giving your life to him. You're giving him everything that you have, your love, your honor, your allegiance. And you're like, what are we going to do next? I'm yours. If you don't have either repulsion and fear, or you're being drawn into him, you probably haven't seen him the way you should. So listen up. And this is for all of us. A lot of times Christians, like people are like new to the church, like, oh, Christian, you know, the whole Sunday servants just, just, just for not unbelievers. No, no, this gospel's for all of us. Every single one of us need this because it's how we live. So Jesus intends for you to see him right now, right here, today. He intends for that. And he makes provision for it. So how are you responding to that? Are you repulsed? Are you afraid? Are you willing to push in? So what happens next is, let's just say this goes from strange to bizarre. Is that a word anymore, bizarre? I say it all the time. Okay, verse 9. When they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with a fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So Jesus pursues them, and then he does a beach barbecue. Wrap your head around it, because they couldn't. God the Son laid his life down, overcome, sin, Satan, death. They're trying to figure that out. He's alive. We've all seen him. He shows up on our beach where we're fishing, makes us catch a bunch of fish. We obviously come in. Peter's running towards him. I wonder how that's going to end. And as we get closer, he's cooking. Can you smell it? He's got fish on the fire. He's barbecue. He's got some bread laid out. He's just being God. He's still serving them. He's still meeting their needs. He's not holding anything over their head. He's like, let's eat. You're exhausted. You're tired. You've worked all night. And now I made you pull in a bunch of fish. Come and eat breakfast with me. Have you ever wondered if on the backside of the resurrection, it was all about, I just want to eat with you. I just want to be reconciled to you so well that you can sit down with me and we can eat together. 
is that not a picture of beautiful and powerful intimacy? That the resurrected Christ, which probably had a lot of stuff on his day planner, said, now I'm going to go with these guys. I'm going to find them. I'm going to remind them who he is, and they're going to catch some fish, even though they got skunked. I'm going to feed them. What do you ask Jesus at breakfast? Hey, how was your week? <laughs> what do you... They, it says they knew it, was, they knew it was the Lord, but they dared not ask him. They had so many questions, and you would have too. Hey, what happened after we left? We weren't at the crucifixion, but like, what did that feel like? What do you mean that you're, you're the temple now? Do we go to temple in here? The curtain tore. Did you hear that? I have so many. Pass the bread. I'm just going to eat with you. Just no lessons here. One author says, the grave of a hero is the place of serene contemplation, but the tomb of Jesus was so disturbing that people ran from it in fear. And they still have that. He's the victor over death, and he's cooking for them. And he also says, hey, you, I'm cooking, but you bring some of your fish. So that's how Jesus established potlucks. Did you know that? <laughs> it's in the Bible. God loves them. This is beautiful and powerful, but there's a problem. Do you feel it? Who's, who's uneasy? It's got to be Peter. I just had a fire last night outside because I like doing that, little fire pit. I love the smell of it, right? The wood's burning. And they say that olfactory smells are the greatest triggers of memory. So when I smell fire or leaves burning, I think of fall and camping. And just, it just feels good. They could smell that fire and Jesus is cooking for them. I would be willing to bet my, well, maybe not my life, but bet a lot that when, G, when Peter smelled that fire, it did not bring a good memory. The only place in the Gospel of John it talks about a charcoal fire are John 18 and here. Do you know what happened around the first fire in John 18? What happened to Peter? He denied Jesus and he ran for it. And so now he's like, oh, it's the Lord, I'm coming back. And we're sitting around a fire. And Jesus is here. Wasn't lost on him. And God always does everything on purpose. You know what the one thing that Peter's going through his head? Don't ask me. Don't ask me. Please, God, don't say anything. And then verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, don't you know his heart dropped? What's he going to say? Son of John. And then Jesus says it. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than John? Love me more than Nathan? I don't know, because you said you did. You said, quote, these may abandon you. I won't. It's got to be hard to hear for Peter. I'm going to jump to the punch a little bit. Jesus is not shaming Peter. Jesus is restoring him. Right? Peter denied Jesus around a fire three times. Full denier. 
Peter is going to be restored by the Lord Jesus around another fire. Yes, he does it on purpose. And he asks him the hardest question Peter's ever had. Do, do you, in fact, love me more than these? Listen to what Peter doesn't say. Peter just says, yeah, I do love you. I love you, and you know that I love you. He didn't say I love you more than these. Peter knows he's built an identity on being better than other people. And by God's grace, he was crushed by that identity and was ripped out of his hands, and he's humble. He no longer believes that God loves him because he's the strongest disciple. He just says, I just love you. I honestly wish it would have ended there. He said to him, feed my lambs. And Jesus said again to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you. You know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. The actual original language says hurt. He was wounded by it. Because he said to him for a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus, you know my heart better than I do. I didn't believe you, but now I do. I'm not valuable to you because I'm the best or better than somebody else. I'm valuable to you because you love me. I want you to listen to two things. One thing that Jesus didn't say and one thing that Peter didn't say. Jesus doesn't say, I told you that was gonna happen, man. Could you not stop for one minute and believe me? I told you to pray against temptation. I told you so. I told you so, Peter. You earned this. Hit the road. He also didn't say, I know you tried your hardest, Peter. It's okay. Did you know repentance is between you and God primarily? Listen to what Peter doesn't say, because it's a beautiful example of repentance. Peter doesn't make excuses. He doesn't say, Jesus, yeah, I heard you, but do you know how hard it was? I mean, the thing and the shadows and the soldiers, and you weren't doing well over there. And I, I didn't make excuses. He also didn't negotiate. We do this in repentance all the time. Well, yeah, I did deny you, stipulated, but like, Man, think of all the good times we had for three years. I was always there for you, right? And he also didn't beat himself up. He didn't say, I knew I was going to do it. I always do this. I hate myself. There's no self-loathing there. He said, I just love you. I just love you, Jesus. That's true repentance, and that's true grace. 
Jesus didn't make Peter pay for anything. Do you see that? There's no probation or trial period. He's like, go feed my sheep. Would have been wise as well. Let's, we, we need to do some more teaching and you don't quite understand the gospel. And now he's like, go feed my sheep. You're a broken man. You're humbled and you understand the grace of God. I paid for your sin out of love. I have overcome Satan who wanted to have you. I gave him myself and death you will live in me. Let's go. That, my friends, is grace. Not building your life on the fact that you're better than somebody, because we do that all the time, but building your life on what Jesus has done for you and what he says of you. You're mine. Verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. You're going to get what you want, Peter. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to Peter, follow me. Let's go. I came back for you. I came back for you. I love you. Peter, this is all for you and everybody. But if you don't understand it, nobody will. Okay, let's go. So who here is afraid you've gone too far? Too distant from God, I've done too much, I've said too much, I haven't said enough, I've let him down, I'm too far from him. This is your day. Peter's your disciple, Jesus is your Lord. I've gone too far. Who here is a failure? One, two? Yeah. Who needs grace like this? We do, don't we? So follow me is an invitation. It's an invitation to walk. This is what Jesus has for you today. Walk in a repentance. You can bring everything that you have. You've been publicly outed on the cross. That's what Jesus was doing. You can bring everything you have to Jesus because he will never reject you. If he didn't reject Peter, you're in good shape. Okay? Repent in honesty. Secondly, you have an invitation to walk in acceptance. Do you want worth? Do you want significance? Do you want to feel like you matter? Well, you do. Let it come from the fact that you matter to God. Jesus laid down his life, took it up again, that you might live. Listen to his words. Build your confidence on what he's done for you and what he says of you, not horizontally against other people. And learn to walk in this victory. This is it. Jesus walks out of the grave and ends up on this beach with them, pursuing them, loving them. That, my friends, is total victory, and he gives it to them. See this risen Christ. Offer him your life. Give him your sin. He can handle it. And I will tell you this, the resurrection, just so we're clear, is the kingdom of God piercing in, invading our world, and everything it touches dies. It's dangerous. It dies and is reborn. So if you will give yourself to the Lord, you yourself will die. And he will build you new, new life.
That's actually what repentance is over and over. And he empowers you to do that because he has overcome everything that stands between you and God, you and glory, you and eternal life. That is the story of Easter. And that is the story that Jesus wants to give us today. So let's take it. Well, I've never done it before. Pray, ask him. I don't know how. Ask me, ask them who brought you. Send us an email. We'll help you walk through this. Because this invitation isn't just to one person, it's to a crowd, it's to a family, right? We walk together. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you that we've seen a side of your grace that is so powerful and so beautiful and so real and so living in the life of Peter and the disciples, Lord. You hunted them down on the beach, you ate with them, and you showed Peter what grace is and you restored him to fullness. I pray, I want that. I pray that for every single person here today. We'll lift this up in your name, Jesus. Amen.